I'll just, just get organised. We, we missed last week, sadly. It looked like there was a, a lot of fun and a bit of chaos. And, but in the end, we've got a tree there that looks, looks lovely. I'll try and work out where I'm supposed to be. There we go. Um, I don't know uh, how, how uh, what Ross brought last week sat with all of you, but I, we watched through the service on Wednesday night and there were some words there that sort of prompted a bit of thought and reflection in, in stuff that I'd experienced in recent times. And I know it's, it, we go through trials and, and tribulations in life and we wonder why sometimes and, and uh, we, we look at where we are when we come out the other end and say, ah, oh, yeah, okay, it's, um, everything is preparing us for something else. And a little bit of, this is sort of leads into what I want to talk about today, but uh, uh, it's about seven years ago, I, I hit a wall with a particular relationship um, the work relationship and it, it was a place I'd been to before, a place that I was a little bit familiar with, it, it, I suppose it's not really a wall, it was more of a fence and uh, I'd dealt with this situation differently at different times and, but at that, the point in my life I was at and I thought I, I can't deal with that the way I had been dealing with it, I need to find out why, I need to, to delve deeper, there's, there's something behind this, I, I can't, I'm too old to go and leave this job and go and find something else. I enjoy what I'm doing, I like what I'm doing, I'm, I'm being productive and useful in what I'm doing. And it, so I, we went and saw our friend Mike and who a lot of us have been to see and it didn't take long to put a finger on where it was. And I realised through that that I, I needed to employ a lot more grace in how I dealt with people and show a lot more love to people to the point that beside my desk so for seven years, and we've been out of there for three. So for four years, in front of my desk by my computer was the... There's no point putting any mind. I haven't written any of this down. <laughs> it's at 1 Corinthians 13. It's about verse 3. It's the first three verses are, are fairly productive. But um, this, this was to prompt me to, to how I would react when it got a bit tough. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames, but have not love, I've got nothing. And that reminded me to treat people with grace, to treat people with love, and, and just, just move on. Just move on. It doesn't matter. It's not important. I, I can't control how other people behave. I can't control their, in my opinion, poor attitude toward to me and, and the situation, but I can control me. I can control how I react, I can control how I respond and how I think. So, respond in love. And, and that's, that's where I want to head today, I want to talk about love. And add on to that is that I th I, I, we hear people say in Christian circles that you, won't, you just need God, Jesus will fix it. I'll go back to this, the verse that... Um, I think it's Romans 12.2 that says that we don't conform to the pattern of the world but we are transformed by renewing our mind and renewing the way we think about things. And the, you can read that verse in that God does everything for me and God will fix me 
or you can read it and say, God is there to help me fix me. And you go on a journey together through whatever it is, whether it be a mental thing, an emotional thing or a physical thing. And as most of you know, I've, I've been through the physical thing in the last little while and God did a healing in me, but I've got to do a healing in me as well. I need to keep rebuilding what he's repaired. So, anyway, God loves you. I'll read it from here. I've got, I better read it. I learnt this from Ross last week. You read these words so you get them right. God loves you. It's tricky. Three simple words. God loves you. Regardless of who you are or what you do, God loves you. You can't do anything to earn it. God just loves you. He may not love what you do, he may not love how you do it, but God loves you. He may not love the way you live your life, but he loves you. God's love is unconditional. It doesn't come with terms and conditions. It's not a legal contract that has lots of conditions. It's actually a covenant. A contract says that you must do this and then I will do that for you. A covenant says, regardless of who you are, I'm giving this to you. It's all yours. Come and take it. And in response we say, thank you, I'll give it back. It's a two-way covenant thing. It's not a contract. There's no terms and conditions. God loves you. Regardless of whether you accept his love or not, his love is unconditional. You look at the def definition of unconditional. As Pastor Andrew would say, you look it up in Greek, unconditional means it's unconditional. Unconditional love is when you love someone no matter what they do and have no expectation of repayment. It means you love someone for who they are with no strings attached. So what is love? What does it mean? You look in the concordance and there's about two pages of references to love in the Bible, depending which version you're looking at. Half of those references refer to love as a noun, as a description of a feeling. The other half are as a verb, which is an outward expression of that feeling. So love is an action. It's something you have to do. It's not something you say. Well, it is something you say, but it's not just something you say. It's something you have to do. There's an outward expression of a feeling. The world teaches it, that love is about what we get. But God teaches us that love is about what we give. The world teaches it that we're rated by what we get. God teaches us that we're rated by what we give. Mother Teresa said this, spread love wherever you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. God loves you and he loves you unconditionally.
In a couple of weeks, we celebrate the date that we've been given to celebrate the Saviour's birth, the birth of the Messiah. That may not be the actual date. In fact, we believe it's not, but that's when we celebrate it and we'll keep doing that, just because we do. But Jesus is God's outward evidence of his love for mankind. Jesus is God's gift of love to all of us. In John 3.16, God loved the world so much he gave his son. His only son. John 3.17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. The reason Jesus was sent was to re-establish a love relationship between God and us and mankind. We need to understand how much God loves us and desires a loving relationship with us. God loves us, he loves us all and he loves us unconditionally. It's got to be unconditional because we're instinctively flawed. We live in a flawed world and I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us, but we do stuff up. I know I do. But he loves us still. And he continues to shower blessings on us. Everybody loves a newborn. Don't we, Christine? <laughs> I, I remember when this little fella down here was, was, came along. A couple of years ago, nearly. It was just under two weeks before I went in for, for my surgery, ten days. And I was holding little Huddy, he was only a couple of days old, and I, was, I had this vision of photos of me with my grandfather. And I don't remember my, this is my dad's father. I, he'd passed away, I was just over four. And I was thinking while I was holding little Huddy, I'm thinking, how... Is he going to remember my love for him? How can I pass my memory into him? It was, I, I just, I can't describe the feeling I had at that time. It was, it was quite surreal. How do, I, how do I get him to understand my love for him? But somehow it's happened. I've been blessed. And now I'm feeling that love return. We spent time last night and it was hilarious. I, I, I imagine that God feels a bit like that with us. He cradles us closely when we're born in the hope that we will feel his love for us and that we'll continue to hold that love in our hearts as we grow older. It's his desire for us and how his heart must break if we turn away. You imagine the grief that he must feel the pain of losing a loved one. We stumbled on a, a movie just recently. It's called Love Comes Softly. Uh, it was a freebie on YouTube. But there's a description of God's love. Oh, I'm not going to give you the whole story, but I, the background is it's, it's the movie set in pioneering days in, in uh, America. And there's a young couple, they've just been married, they're pioneering out into the new frontier and they're setting up a, going to desire to set up a, a little farm beside a river and it's 
They were in the autumn before the snow of winter comes and they'd found the space and overnight one of the horses had run away and he's gone off after the horse, fallen off his horse, hit his head on a rock and died. And she's left newly wed. I think unbeknown to herself she was pregnant. What do I do? They weren't too far from a, a, a town so the people came out and they supported her and buried her husband and, and said, well, you know, you can, you, when, the, when the spring comes, you'll be able to get the wagon train back to where you come from and back to family. This, this fellow come along and he says, well, you can stay in my house. I have a daughter. My wife died tragically a while back, but you'll have to marry me. You can't stay in my house unless we're married. So it, they agreed. He said, you know, I'll, I'll sleep in the storehouse. So we don't have to be married, married, but we'll just be married. And they, uh, life goes on. They get into winter. He took all their possessions and put them in the, stored them in his, uh, his barn. And then one night, mysteriously, the barn caught fire. Burnt all her possessions. What she had, what little she had left, everything was gone. Anyway, the end of that is, is, he says, well, God knows what this is all about. We just need to trust and keep on going. And she says, how can God plan such tragedy? First your wife, he's, she, he's taken your wife, then he's taken my husband, and now this, why does God do these things? His answer is quite profound. He says, well, I see it like this. I left out the bit, he had his daughter. He said, if I'm walking with Missy, who's my daughter, and she runs off her head and falls over, I help her, I comfort her. If she's hurt, I'll pick her up and carry her. And then when she's okay, I'll put her down and she'll run off again. I didn't make her fall. I didn't want her to fall. She just tripped and fell. It doesn't mean I don't love her. I still love her. And I always will love her. And I'll always be there to pick her up when she falls. I think that's how... Is that how God sees us? He's always there. When we stumble and fall, he's there to pick us up. It's a quote from... I'll get the name. I'll try and pronounce it. It's French. Antoine de Saint-Expray. Saint-Expray. There we go. But he says, love does not consist of gazing at each other, but in looking together in the same direction. Is that how God looks at relationship with us? That we walk side by side, looking off into the distance of what we're going to do, where we're going to go. We talked a lot about love in the marriage course. There's a session, one of the nights is called Love in Action. Love is an action. There are a couple of introductory points. And love is about more than feelings, it's about what we do. It involves action. Love always means making a sacrifice for the sake of another. And love isn't about what you get. It's about what I give. They 
go from there to focus on Gary Chapman's five love languages which I'm sure a lot of us would have read and if you haven't it's certainly worth getting and putting some time into he talks about the five love languages that it, how we receive love how we have an expectation of love and quite often those what our language is develops out of what we experienced of love as a child how we experienced or didn't experience and what our desire is to feel love. I'm not going to go into any depth in that. That's a whole thing in itself. But Another thing to look at love, and we've, we've had this little poem go around in a number of, uh, of sessions that we've had, family meetings and sessions. Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, says that the best expression of love is in time. And this is an extract from chapter 16 I'll read. The importance of things can be measured by how much time we are willing to invest in them. The more time you give to something, the more you reveal its importance and value to you. If you want to know what a person's priorities are, look at how they use their time. Time is the most precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. When you give someone your time, you are giving them a portion of your life that you'll never get back. Your time is your life. That is why the greatest gift you can give someone is your time. It's not enough to say relationships are important. We must prove it by investing time in them. Words alone are worthless. Children, your love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. Relationships take time and effort. And the way to spell love is T-I-M-E. The essence of love is not what we think or do or provide for others, but how much we give of ourselves. Men in particular often don't understand this. Many have said, I don't understand my wife and kids. I provide everything they need. What more do they want? They want you. They want your eyes, your ears, your time, your attention, your presence, your focus, your time. Nothing can take the place of that. The most desired gift of love is not diamonds or roses or chocolate. It's focused attention. Love concentrated so intently on another that you forget yourself in the moment. Attention says, I value you enough to give you my most precious asset, my time. Whenever you give your time, you're making a sacrifice. A sacrifice is the essence of love. Jesus modelled love. Be full of love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself to God as a sacrifice to take away your sin. That's Ephesians 5.2. You can give without loving, 
but you can't love without giving. I'll say that one again. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave. Love means giving up, yielding to preferences, to comfort, to goals, to security, money, energy or time for the benefit of someone else. Love is the greatest. We get a good reference of love when Paul talked to, sent in the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. It's probably the most uh, referenced love chapter. And I'll read it now, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be just noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzled reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. I'm going to pull that part a little bit. The first three verses say that we could be absolutely 100% in touch with God. We could be super charitable and fantastic people. We could know everything. But without love, what's the point? The basic underlying, poor, underlying point of the Christian walk is to live in love. John 15, from 9 through to 12 says, Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. 
when you remain in my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I, I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is the new commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. It takes a lot of grace sometimes to live in love. But when we look at the life that Jesus lived, we will see that he showed love to the unlovable. And go back and look at some of the virtues of the, the passage in First Corinthians 13. We get a list of virtues, virtues that define love. Virtue of patience. Definition of patience, a calm endurance of hardship, of provocation or pain or delay. How do we go with patience? Are we all patient? <laughs> the ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. Not sure where I pulled that one from, but it was... Obviously off Google. Love is kind. Kindness is a gentle and benevolent nature. Friendly in one's conduct. It's just the quality of being friendly and generous and considerate. How do we go with kindness? Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not after self-serving. Love is not irritable. I think I struggle with that one. Love doesn't get cranky over trivial things. Do I struggle with that? <laughs> Gee, that's, a, that's a hard one, isn't it? Wow. Not self-serving. Not rude. It's not proud. The fear, proud feeling deep pressure, pleasure or satisfaction at result of one's own achievements. Oh, pat me on the back, eh? Qualities or possessions of those of someone with whom one is closely associated. Wow. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. There's no list of who did what to me or I'll have to get even over that one. Love hates injustice and rejoices in truth. Love doesn't quit. Doesn't give up. It's forever faithful. It is always hopeful. It perseveres. Even when the going gets tough, love perseveres. Even when you're facing difficult diagnosis, Love doesn't give up. Love is everlasting. True love doesn't give up, regardless of the trial. Love is the greatest virtue. It is above all others. Sometimes we need a lot of grace to show a lot of love. We need to overlook a lot of shortcomings to show a lot of love. 
Mother Teresa said, spread love wherever you go and let no one come to you without leaving happier. Gary Morgan said this one, always find a reason to love. It may not add years to your life, but it will add life to your years. I got a bit of a, I wind up on a bit of a review of the current study we're doing. Uh, don't give the enemy a seat at your table by uh, Louis Giglio. The first few sessions he focused on Psalm 23 um, and reference to the table that the Lord prepares for us in the presence of our enemy. It's, it's easy to read that quickly through and without really thinking about the depth of that table. And if you're preparing a table for someone you love, it's not just a table. You've got a table set up nicely, candles, wine glasses, filled with a good, a good whatever you like to drink. You've got a nice setting, you've got a great meal prepared and it's not prepared to look at, it's prepared to sit down and enjoy. It's prepared to, and when you sit down and enjoy that meal with someone that you love, there's conversation, there's a chat about your dreams and hopes and ambitions. There's a chat about where we're going to go on holidays next year. What we're going to do next week. Aren't the kids growing well? All of that stuff. It's this, this nice, this lovely conversation. That's the, the image that we need to get out of that verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. one verse but it means so much it's a place to come and sit to come and share and enjoy and it's so easy to let someone come and destroy that someone else to come and share that table with you at the second part of that verse and that I want to hone in on that as I finish you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The whole psalm, David's talking about the goodness of God as pouring into his life. He's anointing his head with oil and his cup overflows. You go back to Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages that talks about a, a love tank. Anyone who, who's written anything about emotionally connecting in that sphere talks about a love tank or a cup and it's mentioned here my cup overflows three words my cup overflows Psalm 23 it's the last three words of verse 5 God's love fills our cup with his goodness and his true love to overflow into others If we allow the world to fill our cup, it gets full of trouble and strife and anger and bitterness and stress and heartache. 
but God fills our cup with love. What's flowing out of your cup? Is it God's excessive love and blessing in your life? Or is it the trouble and the anger and the bitterness that you strike in your job or whatever? I think I'd just urge you to, as you go, as we go into this Christmas season, sit with Psalm 23. It's only six verses. And it finishes with dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. I just sit with it. And I think, let's... Show some love. Let's show some grace. Live in grace, live in love, and have a coffee. Amen. Amen.